Hello, welcome to a late starting episode number 93 of CXO Talk. I am Michael Kriegsman with my fabulously friendly and patient co-host Vala Offshore. Vala, how are you today? Michael, I'm very happy that we're connected. We have an extraordinary CIO and I can't wait for our show to start. So please begin with the intros. <laughs> yeah, we had a little technical troubles here. I'm going to take the I'm going to take the credit for our technical troubles today, Vala. Very kind of you, sir. Usually I pass the buck, but not not this time. So today we are joined with by an interesting chief information officer, Jerry Martin Flickinger, who is the CIO of Adobe Systems. Jerry, how are you? I am great, Michael. And I I just have to add to your comments on the startup. I was very impressed by your technical competence. Well done. You know, here's so so here's the thing. It's like Vala, I make fun of Vala and the guests can make fun of Vala, but it doesn't work the other way around. Okay. <laughs> we have this we have this sort of unwritten rule. But anyways, uh so so Jerry, you you are uh CIO of Adobe and and probably everybody knows about Adobe, but let's start with your, give us a, a brief sense of your uh, professional background. You bet. Well, I like to think of myself as a career CIO. Um, I've been a CIO in high tech for a long, long time. Um, I've been the CIO for three high tech companies. I started off my career uh, with McAfee. Um, spent about five years there in the early years as McAfee grew from a $250 million a year revenue company to one over a billion dollars. So exciting times, that's how I cut my teeth in the valley. Um, I then was the CIO for VeriSign for a number of years and I have now been the Adobe CIO for about seven and a half years. Um, I actually started my early career in IT at Chevron Oil. So I spent 12 years at Chevron Oil, uh, big company background, which I think for any CIO is awesome to get some experience at scale, whether or not you're in a CIO or IT role, because it really helps you think through process and process controls. So um, I, you know, I'd like to give a big nod to Chevron for being a key part of my growth as a professional. Jerry, so, tell, yeah. tell us a little bit about Adobe and, 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 and the transformation of, of Adobe, which I think a lot of our audience would be interested to hear from a not only an insider's perspective, but a lead technologist within the company? Yeah, that's a great question and probably a lot of people have seen in the news, in the tech news, that Adobe's been going through a massive business transformation from the traditional world of, you know, shrink wrap product software to a services SaaS subscription-based model company. Um, and it's one of the reasons that I chose to join Adobe seven and a half years ago was because they were starting to contemplate what the evolution was going to be like for their company as SaaS and cloud became more prevalent in the industry. Um, so as a CIO, I mean, there's some very practical things that, that change your business as you move from that old school to the new school. Um, the old school of product and product creation and sell-through in a multi-tiered channel looks very much like a material distribution model. You know, it's all about SKUs and box product and inventory and distribution shipping. You know, you spend a lot of energy around that kind of process and systems management. But in the world of subscription and services, it looks much more like a telco in the sense of, hey, there's a subscription plan, you can upgrade your plan, you can degrade your plan, you can add people to your plan, you can 
change your plan today and then do something different tomorrow. It's a, it's a living engagement in a transaction. It's not an, a material master purchased product. It's a living usage-based pricing model. Um, and so just from an IT, just from a pure IT CIO traditional perspective, the back office shift from those two things at an at-scale company, multi-billion dollars a year of product revenue a year, shifting in flight is pretty significant. Um, from a company perspective, huge change culturally in how the company's organized, how we deliver and build product. In the old school, our product engineers, engineering teams, people who build products like um, Photoshop or InDesign, products that are common name to everyone, would do releases every year or 18 months. And so the entire product development organization was wrapped around this waterfall model of management, which starts off with you know figuring out what you're going to build, then building it, and then spending months and months testing it, and then getting it ready for distribution. But in our new world, we do releases every month. And pretty much the entire engineering organization is restructured and, and re um, functioned to work in more agile scrum structures. So things are very iterative, it's very different, and it really changes the psychology of everything. I love using this story. In the old world, people would work, work really hard for 18 months, they'd get that golden master CD burned, and the entire engineering department would go on vacation for six weeks. Because by the time that golden master actually got through distribution and got on a machine at any scale in the customer base, the phone calls didn't start ringing for about six weeks to customer support, right? Today, they finish the code, it gets through its QA cycle, they push deploy, and a million people get that software in the first 12 hours. Wow. The phones start ringing in three minutes. Um, so even the engineers have to rethink how they are on point as that feedback starts coming through and flowing. So those are just a few examples of how our business has changed. Today, uh, far more than half of our revenue comes through subscription services models as opposed to product purchase models. You know, I'm an Adobe customer. I'm a photographer. Um, actually, my photos have been published in quite a number of places, quite a lot of places. And I remember when you made that transition, and I must say it was a little bit, it was tough as a customer. You, you spoke about psychology. So it was tough as a customer to yeah. adapt and say, well, hey, you know, now I have to keep paying each month. But I will say over time I've seen the more frequent updates and now it, se it does seem like a, a more natural way to go Absolutely. from a customer point of view. And we are hearing that from everyone and one of the things Adobe spent a lot of time thinking about as we decided to go down this, this path, the first was to make and declare for our customers our intent. You know, we didn't sort of drivel this out there a little at a time and sort of trap people into the change in business model. We declared to our customers and the street our intent. And in doing so, we also became very transparent with the price point we were setting on a monthly basis versus the package, you know, buy, buy the whole box every 18 months or two years. And we tried to get the price point at a place where it really isn't any different from a total dollars out, but the value and its it is playing out with our customers. The values our customers get is faster integration of our products and faster innovation that they can start to deploy in their own use of our products. So if you're a professional photographer, as you are, um, getting that next really cool new feature in Photoshop 
now instead of 12 months from now is a very big material difference to you if you're trying to make money on your photo. Um, and we're hearing from our customers it's making a big difference. The other thing that's the value that we have now really harnessed and people are leveraging is the integration between these products. The cloud gives you a very natural way to how these products exchange assets between the various traditional desktop products. So if you're actually taking that photograph that you've built and you're actually sharing it with maybe a design community or an ad agency or a client who's buying it, the, the Adobe Creative Cloud is actually giving you a landing place for that asset and a place that other people through their own Adobe product instances can interact with it quite seamlessly. And so for our more sophisticated customers who are working at more at scale in enterprises with groups, with teams, with ad agencies, the value of this creative cloud move as part of this is really starting to pay off for them now. So it's very exciting. We're seeing all, all of what we hoped would happen with our customers. Value prop has happened. And we had an amazing 2014 and just blew out our numbers. So clearly our customers are agreeing with us. So it's awesome. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, well, so before I ask this question of you, I wanted to share with you, uh, this week's CIO Online Magazine published their 2015 State of the CIO Survey. They surveyed over 500 CIOs and IT leaders. And one of the interesting survey points was how do business leaders perceive IT? And 38%, the largest portion, view IT as service provider, 30% business partner, 18% as a cost center, and only 13% as business leader. So my question to you, and you just talked about an incredible transformation that was technology-led, and now you're you know, having fantastic success. Knowing businesses are all going through challenge of digital transformation, what exactly is the role of the CIO as you're going through a transformational change like Adobe? Yep. Well, that's a great conversation and certainly one that many of my CIO peer groups when we see each other in person have a big glass of wine and talk about for hours because I, I can't think of a C-level executive that's had as many disruptors and opportunities in the last five years as CIO. So what the future of the CIO is has a lot to do with the industry you're in, who you are as a leader, and what you aspire to be. But there are some themes that have come across pretty, pretty consistently in, in people I've talked with. Um, and I would agree with all of these. The first is the value of information and data and the role of the CIO in becoming a very strong focal point in bringing that together holistically for most corporations and enterprises. You know, there's always been pockets of data in an enterprise. And some of them the CIO has been very involved in, specifically the financial data and in most cases also maybe sales pipeline data. But as we've now matured into the realm of digital marketing, which is an area that of course Adobe has a lot of uh, engagement in as a supplier, the digital marketing arena has opened this whole new aspect of analytics for the marketer. Mm -hmm. And now the CMO is becoming a very primary business partner with CIOs as they really deal with harnessing and stitching that enterprise data with marketing data. So I would say the one thing that's definitely evolved about the role of a CIO, if it's a lean forward CIO looking to grow with a business and grow the IT capability with the business, is the realm of information, management, data science, data services, whatever word is appropriate for you. But that whole concept of having um, data stewardship 
governance, and really next generation big data technology that allows self-serve in the business. Um, and that's a journey. And there, we could spend an hour just talking about that one topic. But that would be an area that I think every CIO, and, and my best example of that is even if you're a CIO for, let me just use a very different industry, um, refrigerator manufacturing. Refrigerator. You're a CIO in a company that builds refrigerators. Yeah. Well, you know, the things people are talking about are things like you put that milk carton in the refrigerator and it automatically scans that barcode. And when the milk gets too low, it automatically orders it from your favorite grocery store, it's automatically delivered. Well, guess what, folks? All that data interchange, all that integration, there's no organization better positioned in that refrigerator company to help with that than the IT organization. Absolutely. Because that's right up their alley. Now, whether the IT organization decides to step up to that or, you know, stands back and lets some other product-driven organization do it is really more about culture and the style of the leadership. But the opportunity is absolutely front and center for IT organizations to morph more into information management leadership and really empower companies to use data to drive product engagement with their customers, even if it's a refrigerator. You, you know, it was really quite interesting as you were talking earlier about the transition of, of Adobe from providing essentially on-premise to cloud products you were talking very much about the product itself and the development of the product. And that's a little unusual for CIOs because very often we think about the CIO, CIO role as being in, very inwardly facing as opposed to having anything to do with the product whatsoever. So maybe talk a little bit about uh, your connection to product. And I know some of what IT at Adobe is doing is related to some of the, 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 the back-end systems that connect with the product. So maybe talk a little bit about that. You bet. So one of the, like I said earlier, when I came to Adobe, one of the reasons I came was because this transformation was ahead of us. And I have always been really passionate that the investment that most companies have made in their back office, if they've done it you know, responsibly and well, is an asset to be harnessed. And as people start building products that are cloud connected, information that sits in the back office can actually be part of that engagement with the customer. And I'll use a really simple example. If you're sitting in Photoshop on your desktop doing your photo editing, and you want to buy a new component feature of Photoshop that's an add-on, let's just pretend it's a 99 cent add-on. We don't really do this, by the way. I'm just making this up as an example. Um, wouldn't it be cool if you could push a buy now button right there in your desktop and have it just sort of magically work? Like it knows who you are, it knows you've bought this, it knows that it's now going to entitle you to this, this extra widget or feature, and it just all happens. Now, that's not rocket science. Lots of products do that today. There are variations of that concept even in Adobe product. But here's where I think the CIO in the back office gets interesting. Why shouldn't that buy button really just be wired to the back office that already knows all about doing commerce and entitlement and customer mastering and pricing? You wouldn't want to rebuild all that again and again and again and again. And so one of the things five years ago that we strategically set out to do in conjunction with the business changes to our products for cloud enablement was SOA enabling our entire back office. So that when our product teams want to put that buy button inside their product at some point in time in the future, um, really, they have a SOA service call they get to make and it's done. They don't have to worry about 
all the security and the compliance and the linkage to the entitlement, and they don't have to worry about any of that. It's all within the service catalog call. Um, that's a big deal. And that requires a multi-year journey for an IT organization to truly architect the back office and think about building out a service integration layer that can work for engineers. In our case, it means getting thousands of product engineers to start using those service catalogs and not going off and doing an underground project to build a new buy button. Um, so one of the ways that my IT team has become deeply embedded in the products is by providing this web services layer that will help them build their products faster by unleashing capabilities that have traditionally lived in back office. And as we have matured in that journey, we've also extended that to the information stitching I talked about earlier. So if someone wants to interrogate inside of a product certain types of attributes about a customer or a customer segment, they don't have to go recreate that wheel and build up a database somewhere and try to extract that data. They can leverage um, our core big data stitched models of our customers and our universe. So um, lots of different ways, and depending on the product and the company you're in, I think IT organizations need to be thinking about how they can actually unleash the power of the company's products. And they need to get ahead of that, not wait for someone to come and ask them. Because in this new world, nobody's got time to come and ask you for something. So it was really important that we went out, for example, and showed the buy button to our product engineers working. If we had waited for them to come ask us, we would still be waiting. On the other hand, we were able to speed up time to market on products that they were trying to get out into the market because they didn't have to write whole sections of code that they would have had to worry about otherwise. So as a company, we're moving faster. We're becoming a piece of the core software platform for our products. IT is part of the products. And I think for many, many companies, that is a reality, whether or not you're in tech um, like, like we are or you're building refrigerators. So you joined uh, Adobe in 2007, and clearly you successfully shifted the conversation regarding IT from cost to value. And I've read your, your, your comments regarding how you do that. And right now we have a bunch of CIOs that are watching and tweeting your words of wisdom live. And can you give them advice in terms of how do you, you, know, how do you put a skills development plan when you're moving to the cloud and you're embracing analytics and taking what traditional IT's view of help desk to folks that are enabling product enablement, accelerating marketing and sales, what were some of the challenges and things you have to do to create that culture that goes from cost to value? Yeah. Well, I wish it was simple. I could just give you like, here's one thing to do and it'll all be easy. But this is sort of the holy grail for being um, a CIO anywhere. And you know, I think I would be remiss if I didn't say it's a journey for everyone everywhere. And depending on what the situation is in your company, it may take you years to move the conversation away from cost into value. So don't be disheartened if it's a journey that's taking years. Um, you know, I'll be, I'll be completely candid. In seven and a half years, I've been through many phases of many of those transitions and sometimes you circle back. You know, 2009 for a lot of us was a really big reset year with the economy that drove a much tighter pencil sharpening across all of our businesses around cost management that probably made it really hard to have value conversations during 2009. So don't be disheartened by that. But I think there are a few things we can all do to, to help move up the chain. The first um, that I have found really effective is to make sure that you really are consistently transparent 
with data. And make sure that that data that you present is not in the IT vernacular, but is in the words of the business. So if the business is talking about growing a certain market, show all of your expense in IT and all of the things you're doing relative to that category of activity. Don't show them a product project list that looks like an IT project list. Show them, hey, to help your expansion in emerging markets, you know, we're gonna we're investing three million dollars in new technologies to support you in that and we've got 200 people lined up behind that and here are the six things we're going to deliver for you that will help you penetrate that emerging market so put it in their language and that sounds like such a little thing but just getting that language right is part of it the other thing that I found to be a really important element and I think the paper you you referenced talked about this a little bit is consistency and simplicity it is really important to boil that message up to your audience. So I found a sweet spot a few years ago where in talking to the CEO um, and the CFO, I finally got them gravitated around three numbers that simplified it in their mind. And the three numbers that I ended up using were new delivery, which in our discussion meant anything that was bringing new capability to the business, like a new feature, a new function, a new activity, versus operations which included the health and care and feeding of the legacy that we had and then split out separately depreciation because for many of us in IT depreciation is an incredibly significant portion of the OPEX budgets we carry um, but often people forget this year that they committed to that last year and the year before and the year before that and it gets pretty sizable in a company in growth um, and it was funny because I at one time would have told you that was way too high level for those senior people they needed to have more detail and even though I had the detail in the background those three numbers told a story and the first story it told them was oh dang we want more new delivery how do we get more new delivery you know and once you show them all the ways that you've peeled off from operations and there's nothing you can do about depreciation it's like oh well we need to invest then don't we and it just gave us a really simple way to have a conversation and and that's not to say you don't have the deeper conversations, but you've got to find whatever formula like that works in your company to get the Uber message so that the sentiment is clear about how you're doing the work you're doing. So it's a journey. Um, it's a journey. But for us, simplicity worked. And then the other thing that we've done in the last um, 18 months is we restructured all of IT around um, a true services organization model. So we have three service families, um, about 20 service portfolios, and about 50 total services in IT. And that's provided for those people who care about the services, a much more holistic view of the service and the service pricing and the service capability. But it's also grown in my organization 50 really good leaders. And I like to call them all CIOs or CEOs of their service. And they're having to learn everything from you know, how do I plan for the life cycle of my service? Who is my customer? How do I charge for this? Who are my competitors? How do I stay relevant? And it has been awesome to see this mix of leaders in IT all have to grapple with becoming a mini CEO. It's been pretty cool. So, Jerry, we have a uh, question or really a, a, a comment from David Chu, who is a CIO and actually a former guest on CXO talk, and he raises the question about the culture of IT and how do you adapt the culture of IT and how did how did you do that during this 
significant transition that Adobe undertook? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, there's a couple of things. I, I think messaging from the top is really, really important. And one of the things that my team um, will tell you is that I am a huge advocate for the word partnership. And so every time we talk about things like alignment of IT efforts with business needs, it's always in context of partnership. When I meet with IT leaders, um, I like to see them in the room with their business partners, not solo. I, I do think if you really believe partnership is part of the value proposition that's going to move your IT organization up the food chain, that partnership cannot just exist at the sea table. It's got to exist at every level across the business and IT. And you have to promote that and reward that and acknowledge that and celebrate that. And so I have something here that's very, a very simple thing I do but has been really powerful. Every time I get a kudo note from a business partner about something someone has done in IT, um, we send out a little thumbs up recognition email for me personally that talks about why this was great behavior, what it was that the person in IT did that really demonstrated that partnership or the alignment to the business. And these thumbs up notes have become sort of this point of pride with IT people. And they, you know, people walk around and say, how many thumbs up have you ever gotten? And they don't come out every day. You know, they come out, you know, a couple times a month um, they flow. So the more you can demonstrate if partnership is the grounding culture change you need to make, which I find it is for most IT organizations, demonstrate every single day that that partnership is rewarded at every level in your organization. Um, you know, other things about culture change to me that are really important is, um, and this is, I'm sure, I'm sure the CIO that asked the question is very experienced and, and knows all of this, but being really genuine and transparent is super important, and people need to hear from their leader that they're clear on why the culture change is important, and they hear it repeatedly over and over. And so I spent a fair amount of energy on making sure that our communications and our cascaded communications across IT spend time reinforcing for our IT employees what that culture shift is. We talk about culture shift quite openly, um, which is good. I hope that helped. That was that helped. And by the way, the the, the packaging of the mission statement charter goals into a simple three KPIs to tell a story. I thought. That, that's fantastic advice for any executive. So certainly advice that I'm going to look to the next time I report our marketing, you know, mission and status and goals to our, to our CEO. But so clearly company culture is critical for a CIO to be successful uh, through that, throughout this transformational journey. But what are some of the challenges? I mean, you're hearing about you know, in the in the in the digital business, you know, apps and big data and cloud and mobile and social sensors, Internet of Things, all these things that are popping up. Uh, I'm, you know, the, my Twitter stream from the Consumer Electronics Show, and and some of the examples that I saw are just unbelievably cool. Uh, but what are some of the challenges, and what advice do you have for CIOs who are, you know, leading uh, these technology initiatives? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I don't want to leave the impression that somehow we just sort of like. <laughs> and got involved and everybody figured it out. It feels like you know. <laughs> no, no, no. So let me tell you a little bit about the culture inside Adobe and what the last seven years have been like, um, maybe more on the ground. 
you know, we're a company with software engineers. We're a company that's more than 30 years old, was built by software engineers, really smart software. We probably have some of the, I, I know we have some of the best software engineers in the world in our company. And IT came from the pretty traditional IT place. You know, like most 30 years ago, companies, IT managed the PCs and kept the servers racked and stacked. And, you know, the engineers, like, IT is like, you guys don't do anything like what I do. Like, why, why am I going to have you in my planning meeting or my architecture review meeting? And so I would say that the single most difficult and challenging cultural shift um, this IT team has made in the last five years has been getting to the table in a place of mutual um, participation with our engineering community. And a couple of just thoughts about ways to make that happen. First of all, you don't mandate that kind of change. It isn't something I go in and declare on Monday morning, everybody go meet with engineering and become their best friend. It's something you do through a combination of letting the people get to know each other and then proving you can be valuable. And so, you know, a few of the things that I've done um, are things like skunk works that get close to one engineering team with a couple really smart people and just sort of letting them get to know each other for six or seven months and deliver something great. And the really interesting thing about engineers, they're just like all the rest of us. You know, if you do something good and you get rewarded for it, you want to keep doing that thing you just did. And so making sure that whatever is successful gets mutually recognized, not only by myself, but by the engineering leaders that are my counterparts um, on that side. And you do enough of those kinds of projects where people see there's mutual uh, recognition of skill sets and that the coming together makes a better solution than not coming together. And the people actually like each other. They discover, wow, you're actually a cool person and you're not really a geek. Um, it takes care of itself. You know, sometimes we like to overthink this stuff. The reality is if you do what you say you'll do and people like working with you and you know your stuff, it's all going to work out. I, I, I firmly believe that. So the challenge for IT is to get IT in that headset. You're not the decision maker. It's not a unilateral process. You got to go and work with somebody, bring what you are really good at to the table, respect what they're really good at, at the table, and you know if it makes sense, collaboratively and collectively build the next new thing. Um, so that's it. Sounds kind of like simple, and it is, but it takes time. So don't rush it, and place a few bets. Find a few really hot IT technologists that you have that look like engineering DNA and send them in underground. Yeah, it sounds, uh, yeah, it's very easy to say, but obviously it's extremely difficult and, and takes time to execute. Mm -hmm. But on, you know, on a similar topic uh, of change and the impact on IT and so forth, You've been running something called the CIO, the Adobe Innovation Summit, CIO Innovation Summit, mm -hmm. which again is quite unusual because our the stereotype of the CIO is facing inward uh, building infrastructure, and yet you invite people from the outside to discuss innovation. So tell us about that. What what's that about? Yeah, well, that all kind of grew out of a really selfish need, and it turned out to be one of those things just to stumble into and go, wow, that was brilliant. I should have done that sooner. <laughs> so here's what here's kind of what the real story is to that. Um, several years ago, because of where I'm located in the, in the Silicon Valley and just sort of the exposure of Adobe as a whole, um, I've been having the opportunity to get invited to a number of different venture capital um, 
firms, roundtables, CIO advisory boards, you know, to, to look at new companies coming in and to sort of help give some feedback about their potential in the market. And, and that's been a pretty casual, fun thing. And over the years, I've gotten involved in probably four or five of those that I attend regularly now. Um, anyways, a couple of years ago, I remember coming back from one of those days, and I was just so excited. I mean, I had it wasn't that I saw any one thing that was going to blow the socks off everything, but I was just excited. I was re-energized. I was thinking outside the box. I had stopped worrying about my day job for eight hours, and I had listened to these little startups with, you know, two guys and a dog or a husband and wife team or, you know, two college graduates who'd never worked in a company in their life, and I was excited. And as I was driving home, I was thinking, how do I get all of my team, my entire worldwide IT team, this excited? How do I let them take a day and just listen to what I just listened to without having to deliver on a project, not trying to respond to an RFI, not trying to deal with the next deliverable and it, will this technology work, but just to listen. Nothing else, just listen. And that's where the innovation day came from. Um, I decided that I, I had total door open to contact all those companies and invite them in for a day. And I had the audience here at Adobe to send the invite out and say, everybody show up hear what you want to hear, you don't have to do anything with it. You get a day to listen, learn. And it has been, in hindsight, one of the smartest things I've ever done to unleash the concept of innovation across a huge audience of employees. Um, people look forward to this day every year. It's a big, solid day. We've structured it in one-hour sections. People can attend tracks. They can attend one session. They can attend all the sessions. And for the startup companies, which, by the way, startups we all know range from what I talked about as, you know, two dogs in a, or two dogs in a garage, no, <laughs> two people in a dog in a garage, to, you know, companies that are just like pre-public, pre, uh, right, so they're quite large, but they get to see this whole spectrum, and in this hour, they don't just listen, but at the end, I've asked that all of these companies who present take 15 minutes to get feedback from the group about what worked about my pitch, what didn't, what do you think about us, do you think this has got legs, you know? give them feedback. And so for the venture firms, this is awesome because their little fledgling companies get real feedback from real professionals who, you know, would be the typical buyer of these types of uh, technologies, if not companies. Um, you know, there's no expectation that any business will transpire out of these events. It's really an informational sharing event. Having said that, though, obviously, when something really exciting gets shared, it can lead to things down the line. And we've had a few of those occur that have been really positive for both sides. So I think it's a great thing. And you know what? There's nothing special about me as a CIO that makes this possible. Every venture firm I know would love a phone call from a CIO to say, hey, I really want to put together this innovation day. Do you want to participate? I'm guessing they'd say, yeah. So it, it's not a hard thing to do. It doesn't cost a lot of money. You know, it's I, the biggest cost for me is I give everybody lunch. But besides that, pretty easy. So you've seen Michael's uh, technical skills in action. Do you need <laughs> to form a startup to get invited to your innovation day, or, or is there something else we can do? <laughs> wow, we'll follow up on that offline, I think. <laughs> yeah, seeing my technical skills. Yeah, Vala, you and I, watch your back, Vala. <laughs> I know where you are. <laughs> so well, 
it's wonderful to hear you not only embrace innovation but also work with the venture capital community. And I, I suspect as part of your technology roadmap, you work with startups. Any advice? Because we do have startup founders that watch the show. You know, with the two guys and the dog, or the two gals with the dog. Any advice in terms of how do they approach an Adobe and pitch their solution? Is there one thing that they need to really focus on to either get included or excluded? Um. Yeah, I think I think the advice I'd give is um, don't try to overthink it. I, I, you know, I, I have had a few venture firms really wanting to come in and pitch a specific company. And to be honest, I don't think the venture firms are spending enough time with us to understand what our priorities are to start with to be able to really make that connection. So I, I would suggest instead, if you really want to pitch to a company like Adobe, try to bring them into a forum like an advisory forum or offer to, to host you know, an innovation day with their key leaders. Let them hear a series of your of your companies. If you know there's one you particularly want them to hear, just make sure they're one of the N that you present to them. But you got to make it attractive, you know, for, for the CIO or the company you want to talk to too. And, and I, I think sometimes people think they know what we all need as CIOs in our companies, but until you get close enough to what we're actually dealing with day to day, you might miss the mark. And you might do more damage missing that mark than really just opening the door, which is what I think most venture capital folks probably want to do with an Adobe or other company. Just open the door and get to know what, what would align. Great advice to actually ask rather than assume, go out and ask. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, unfortunately, I think our time is about drawing to a close. This, you know, I feel like, like we've barely, Vala, we've barely scratched the surface today on well, some very interesting issues. Anytime we have a brilliant uh, and cool guest, time flies. So this was no exception. <laughs> so Jerry, will you come back and come back and do another show with us another time? That would be fun. Thank you but so you know much. what? I gotta tell you, Michael, I'll have one of my technical folks help with the setup. Oh <laughs> <laughs> Vala put you okay, I know you like, you just channel one of my here. favorite <laughs> Well, we have been talking on episode number ninety-three of CXO Talk with Jerry Martin Flickinger, who is the CIO at Adobe Systems and has given us really an eye-opening view of an I, from the IT perspective of what it's like when a company makes the transition from pure desktop to cloud. And Jerry, thank you again for, for taking the time. Thank you, Michael, and thank you, Vala. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you very much. I'm Michael Krigsman, and my, I was going to say my friendly, I'm going to go back to friendly-ish. Co-host Vala Offshore, and I really want to thank everybody for for watching today, and we will see you again next week. Bye bye. <laughs>